time for The Outspoken Cyclist, a weekly conversation about cycles, cyclists, travel, trails, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. WJCU broadcasts and streams The Outspoken Cyclist on-air show at 8 a.m. every Saturday morning. Northeast Ohio, tune in to 88.7 FM, or worldwide, listen in at wjcu.org. Our weekly podcast is available at the close of the on-air show at OutspokenCyclist.com or download it with your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Hello and welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks, and this is our show for September 19th, 2020. First, I would like to wish all of my Jewish listeners a very happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. For all of us, regardless of our faith or circumstances, this has been an extraordinarily trying time. We can all use a little peace and happiness right about now. So once again, we have a pretty darn diverse show for you. This past week, several articles were published about Kevin Riza. Kevin is a French cyclist who rides for B&B Vital Concept, a French team. He is a 10-year veteran of the Peloton, and he is black. The lack of diversity in the pro-cycling world has long been a topic, but mostly quietly. Now, Kevin has decided to speak up about Black Lives Matter and about an experience he had with racism. But to get some broader understanding of not only the lack of diversity in cycling— also, some perspective on what changes might be in the future, I decided to contact Jacques Boyer. As an ex-pro, he understands the sport. As the founder of Team Africa Rising, he has a unique perspective that I hadn't heard or even thought about until now. I think you will appreciate it. Then you'll meet Cameron Chinati. She's the Director of Education and Stages Cloud Technologies for Stages Indoor Cycling. I know most people think of Stages as the power crank arm people, but there's a whole lot more to the company and what it does, including making indoor smart bikes, developing its own platform to deliver many types of recreational activities, not limited to just cycling. And then there's the event coming up for the month of October to raise funds for World Bicycle Relief. Finally, I talk with Ray George. He's the founder of OhioGravelGrinders.com. It's a website based out of Columbus, Ohio, and it's chock full of great content for any gravel-type riding, from exploring routes through the Ride with GPS app to events that are still on the books for 2020. So first, it's out to the Boyer YL Ranch in Wyoming for a chat with Jacques. Hello, Jacques. Welcome back to the Outspoken Cyclist. Wow, it's been a long time since we last spoke. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. And yes, it's been a long time, though it does seem like it was yesterday because things go by very quickly. They do, especially where you are, like in your little slice of heaven up there in Wyoming. I I wanted to catch up with you because of some articles that I read in the last week and because of your position with Team Africa Rising. So it's really important that we talk about Kevin Riza, is that the correct pronunciation of his last name, Riza? I would think so, yes, Riza. Yeah. So he's a black rider in the pro peloton, or should I say he's the 
black rider in the Tour de France this year. He's French. He rides for the French team B&B Vital Concept. And he's taking a stand on Black Lives Matter. And who knows better about that than you, having been and still are the executive director of Team Africa Rising. So tell me a little bit about Kevin and the Continental teams and what's going on and how this might all play out. Uh, Kevin definitely is, you know, came up through the ranks in France. I don't know him personally. And, you know, it's only been kind of recently that he's been on the on the radar blip. And I definitely applaud him. And the black athlete has definitely the ability to excel in cycling. So it's not a surprise in that he can do well, but it is a surprise that, you know, they're so few black riders within the peloton it it seems to be a very white elitist sport and it is actually so it's too bad because if we had more black riders that have opportunities we would definitely have harder races and we definitely have more contention and more colorful races and it would be better for the spectators at the same time so yes it's uh it's been good to see him there Unfortunately, a lot of times uh, riders, especially black riders, whether they're Eritrean or in this case, Kevin, they end up riding for other other team members who are white and who, you know, have proven to be perhaps better than them. So we never really see their value. I don't think we've ever seen the true value of a black rider whether it was Sabu Grame from Ethiopia or any of Eritreans, we've never really seen their true ability to perform, whether it be in the top 20 or 30 or win a stage. Uh, and it's basically because they've, they've needed to work for other riders within their team. Do you think that there is racism in the Peloton? I know it, it, Kevin says it really didn't show up except in one particular instance, and his manager really backed him up on it. But do you think it has to do with racism, or does it have to do with something else? Is what is Because you have great riders out of Team Africa Rising. Uh, racism as we know it, I do not think is in the peloton, and I don't think it's within the you know, the organizations or anything like that. It's more what we are finding out here in America and other places is the riders of color and the riders that are black don't have the same opportunities growing up as white athletes do. And that is that is racism. So it's not racism as a writer, you know, not liking or being against a black writer. It is more uh, systemic within the society of not allowing writers to excel. It's like people here in America, they blame, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. But what happens if you're barefoot and are born into poverty and don't have boots and can't go to a decent school and can't get medical health care? And your your mom is, you know, going from one homeless place to another. That That is racism. And that is what affects the ability for a black athlete to excel. 
Let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Jacques Boyer. He is the executive director of Team Africa Rising. Such an interesting topic at this time in history. And watching the racing come back, which, of course, it it was on hold for so long. You know, there's this sort of pent-up demand for bike racing. And and Kevin is in there. He is riding with with the tour. Uh, So do you think that there is a possibility that diversity and equity will be more widespread in cycling? Or what do you think it would take to see that, both men and women, by the way? I think in actuality, the COVID-19 has given a great opportunity because it's shown the discrepancy. It's also driven everybody indoors, uh, whether that be the pro peloton or, you know, recreational cyclists. So we have this massive community now that go online and race virtually. You know, before I even tried it, I tried Zwift this this winter. You know, I kind of poo-pooed it. It was like a video game to me. You know, I didn't, you know, if I could get outside, I'd get outside and ride. But I immediately realized that these platforms now, you're getting numbers and you're getting the ability to to detect, test, and try riders on an actual very valid platform now. These smart trainers, whether it be, you know, a Wahoo trainer or a tax trainer or some of the others, you can get so much information from them now. They're so sophisticated. It's going to be allowing us to get trainers into villages, get, you know, with competent coaches that can actually read the data or even upload the data. But we'll be able to detect talent at a very young age and follow the talent and invest where needed now. And it's going to change the whole ability to really sound the different countries, communities, and areas for potential talent and then do the investment. But it's going to take partnerships. It's going to take people that are really vested in it and people that see that there is a massive potential out there that has never been given a chance, whether that be the the women or the men. So what you're saying is that through these platforms, you can identify riders who will come up through the ranks and eventually end up on a world team. That is really interesting. It never even occurred to me. It's actually super fascinating. And, you know, now with this new data technology, when, you know, we offer up a rider, the teams want to see data. And there is no data because we've never been able to accumulate data. And the only data we have on African riders is when they go to Dimension Data or some of the other teams, uh, NTT or, or wherever. And we get the data as they're riding in Europe. And it's always significant data. And then there's this, it's very frustrating to look at the data because the data is such that they would be excelling within the sport. But there's a lot of challenges which, you know, come down to basically education and the ability to ride and excel at a young age. It's, you know, they, it takes them a while to understand echelons and cobblestones and wind and you know i still have riders in rwanda that if you put them in the middle of a wyoming plain and ask them which way the 30 knot wind is blowing from they wouldn't be able to tell you and it seems a name but it's 
it means that they're wasting so much energy. And now with these virtual platforms, if we get them within the whole junior program, we can see the talent. And then with that talent, we have a couple partners in, in Europe, uh, USA Cycling out of Holland and Team Amani out of Holland. They'll take them for a month or two months and then get them into the, the bath of cycling so that they're not you know, coming to Europe as a U23 with such a disadvantage. Let me remind our listeners again, we're speaking with Jacques Boyer. He's the executive director of Team Africa Rising. You're still coaching, aren't you? Uh, coaching, not really. No. But coaching, meaning following a certain rider or a team or something, uh, I am not. Uh, I still follow coaches. We have a great coach out of New Mexico, Scotty Nidham, who is actually working with Navajo Nation too. And as we get this virtual platform going, we're going to plug it into the Navajo Nation and get them to be able to, you know, as with our African riders, uh, race in a European peloton virtually. And it's the first time we've ever had, you know, world tour riders where they're on a virtual platform and we can actually compare their data with real data from African riders. So there's an actual comparison that's legitimate now. Before, the numbers meant something, but it wasn't as accurate or we couldn't really compare it as well as we can now. I remember when your Rwandan team first started back in 2006. Is that Does that sound right? Is that about when... Team Africa? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I'm looking at the list now, and now we're talking Angola, South Africa, Benin, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and now you're talking the Navajo Nation. This has expanded like exponentially. It has, and the whole virtual platform is going to expand it a lot more. Like, for example, the president of the Cycling Federation in Benin, Romuald Hazume. He is so excited about the virtual platform. And what he's going to do is he's got, I think, six different regions he's designated already when we get our trainers coming in. And he's going to set up clubhouses within these regions. And when his riders are competing against other Africans on the virtual platform, he's going to have a big screen TV so that, or even European riders, uh, so that the villagers can watch real time their riders competing against other riders within the continent and outside of the continent. So it's going to kind of like jumpstart a whole country getting behind these riders because in the past, you know, they go to Europe and basically they disappear from the village and nobody can follow them. And then it's, you know, maybe they come up on a you know, a result sheet or something like that, but it's not as close as this they will be able to see and experience the ride with the riders. And at the same time, we'll be able to watch riders in full effort, which has never been able to happen before, and be able to adjust, you know, positions and seat height and get their position dialed in without having to be there physically it's just all i need is one of the coaches with an iphone or you know a, a phone and videotape him while he's in full effort and then watch it and adjust as we go so it's going to 
a breakthrough, or it is a breakthrough. Wow, that's so interesting. It never even occurred to me how you could use these racing platforms for something like that. I mean, I've, we've been talking about them all summer, and yet now I see a really important way of getting riders up to speed, <laughs> no pun intended. Well, maybe a pun intended. So how is Team Africa Rising doing financially? Well, we lost our main fundraiser, actually two fundraisers this year already. So we've, we're, we're lacking funding on one level. Uh, we're able to switch our focus from getting continental teams going into investing in the virtual platform within the countries that we work in. So our funds are, are more limited. We are looking for partners for the whole virtual form. We're, you know, we're starting regardless. And it's pretty exciting, you know, as all of us, we don't know what it's going to look like. And we still are going forward with everything. We see opportunities and we're able to, you know, at least divert our focus into something that looks like we're going to be able to fast track from talent detection to actual getting teams to be able to look at real numbers from the African riders. The talent is there. There is a black African that will win the Tour de France at some point. We just, we just need to, you know, apply what's available now and get it in and give these kids, women and boys opportunities where they really deserve it because the talent is there. We just have to, be able to let get them to access this. And even within our own inner cities and opportunities within our own Black communities, as we get going and get better at what we're doing, this will open the door for those communities also. And, you know, all over the world, I even have, you know, requests from the islands, uh, not the Bahamas, but... Uh, they want to be on the same program we are. I think it was uh, Tahiti. So it, we would be remiss if we didn't follow through on all of this. Yeah, for sure. Well, so tell my listeners how they can learn more about Team Africa Rising and maybe get involved. I mean, you you have all kinds of ways for people to, you know, sort of help. We do have a website, teamafricarising.org. You can go on go on the website you could even sponsor you know a trainer to a country right now as you said we're we work in Benin Togo Sierra Leone we work in Rwanda obviously a little bit in Ethiopia Eritrea South Africa uh, Nigeria uh, Kenya Uganda but we always need help we always need uh, you know even competent people that can manage certain data sets within that virtual platform, you know, would be helpful too. But we depend on our, our folks to support us and to get these riders an opportunity where they never would have had an opportunity. So it's very interesting looking at your donation page. First of all, I couldn't remember his name, but Adrian Nyanshuti's name is there. And apparently He's got a cycling academy for juniors now and women in Rwanda, which is just awesome. I remember when he went to France the first time. I think it was a mountain or to Europe. It was a mountain bike, wasn't it, event? Yeah, he did ride mountain bike, but he did go uh, the 
MTN Quebec and then Dimension Data. And he was on the world tour team and he lived in Lucca, Italy, where he lives now. But Adrian is one of our our key athletes that that is really going to be one of our spearhead people to this whole virtual platform. And we have been sending him to different countries within Africa for coaching, training, and enabling the riders to get a little more information on how to train and what to eat and things like that. In Algeria, the country I didn't mention, we work with Yusuf Ujiji and also uh, Adezin Lagab, and they are instrumental within their federation getting junior riders going you know, into the system. We we really like to work with former pros because they understand the whole system a lot better than if we were to train somebody from just the get-go, from zero. Right. But what's really interesting to me, it is not expensive to help sponsor certain aspects of your teams and their riders. You know, we're talking $10 for one month of personal care products for the women's team. That's That seems so innocently negligible. And yet a month of personal care products, it's really important to a rider to have that. Or one week of meals for a rider in a training camp, $50. Seems really reasonable. So I hope some people will take a look, teamafricarising.org. Well, Jacques, it's always wonderful to talk with you. It's really exciting to hear some of the new things that are happening. Um, I want to make one quick mention that if anybody is interested Jacques and Kim have the Boyer Ranch up in Wyoming. If you want to get away in this time of COVID, you can contact them. How can they contact you about your Airbnb? Or they just go to Airbnb? You can go there or the Boyer Wild Ranch. Uh, We have cabins by the river, and it's one of the training areas. We bring our athletes here to train in the summertime. Winter is very brutal, very cold. But it's kind of a sanctuary. We have fiber optics all the way up this nine-mile dirt road. And people have been coming quite a lot this summer, just getting away from big cities, whether it be Houston or Philadelphia, just being able to work and be outdoors. So it's a great place, and it's, and it's, and it's just beautiful, stunning, stunning everywhere. And it's pet-friendly. Yes, it is. Well, Jacques, thank you so much for talking with me. It's always a pleasure. I'm so happy things are going well, and I hope we'll talk again soon. Thank you, and have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jacques Boyer is Executive Director of Team Africa Rising. If you are interested in the team and want more information, log on to teamafricarising.org. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll speak with Cameron Chinati with Stages Indoor Cycling. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. The Outspoken Cyclist is proud to have Bike Law as a trusted partner. If you find yourself in need of legal advice or assistance as it pertains to any cycling issue, log on to bikelaw.com. We 
are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. If you've participated in any of the many indoor cycling events this summer, using one of the apps such as Zwift or Wahoo or Peloton, you had one type of experience and probably a pretty good one. Now, however, there's another app. This time from Stage Cloud Technologies and Stages Indoor Cycling. It might just lure you into a new format. Here's Cameron Chinati, the Director of Education for the company. Hi, Cameron. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me on the show this week. Hello, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited. It's pretty exciting what you guys are doing. So I've been aware of stages and power crank arms. I can remember crank arms coming in with those cool little strain gauges on them (laughs) for a long, long, long time. Indeed. Indeed, yes. So I want to talk a little bit about the company, the products, and then this event that people can start registering for in a couple of weeks. You got it. Stages, um, the company, it's it's crazy. Now, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary as, as a company. And, you know, you mentioned the power meter, um, the, the left side power arm that I think was certainly what put us on the map with cyclists and the cycling community. And uh, it was a really big deal at the time um, having a, a power meter. So it really opened the doors for a lot of people that had never heard of power before. But what most people don't actually know about stages is that we actually started as a company making indoor cycling bikes. So originally we were the manufacturer for another company and we're making indoor cycling bikes. So think about, you know, quote unquote spin class. Well, our organization has tons of history in that market. And in fact, our our SVP of product, Pat Warner, was responsible for making the first indoor cycling bike in the early 90s, um, then with with Johnny G. And if you know of the word spinning with the registered trademark after it, that's that bike. And so we've got this long history of people on the manufacturing side. And at the time, the mission was to to make a bike that had uh, a robust power meter on it and one that was actually accurate and direct. So There were other bikes at the time that had power, um, but it was really more like estimated power based on resistance on the bike. So it was definitely susceptible to issues and inconsistencies. So that's where we started. And and that's when I started with the company. So we're talking 2010 with this mission of making a better bike with a power meter on it that works. And we did that and saw really great success with it in the commercial space. So by commercial, I'm talking about, you know, you go into a big athletic club and you see bikes in their cycling studio, there's a very good chance that those bikes are now stages bikes. So we've been doing that for about two and a half years. And one of our engineers said, you know, the power meter that we're doing for indoor, we actually think we can do that outdoors. We can reduce the weight. We can change how the battery orientation is. Um, There's some other things we can do to compensate for temperature variance, et cetera, et cetera. And so that started us down the path of the proof of concept for the outdoor power meter. And then the rest is is sort of history from there. And now, you know, our, our bikes are all over the world. Our power meters are all over the world. And now after all this manufacturing and all of the, the hard bits that we make, you know, steel um, and mechanical parts, um, the last really three and a half, four years for us has also been a really big jump into the software space. And so particularly, and this is where my, my world um, is, is full of this, is group display. 
So you're writing in a class with a bunch of your friends, and now you can see on screen your output and, and how hard you're working, and you can be competitive if you want or, or not competitive. And that's been a really fun shift to kind of see new life brought into the space, because before we were all just kind of writing blind. Now we have not only data, but we have visual representation of that data. Now with, with COVID, um, we fast track that to be able to extend that experience into our customers' homes, which is really exciting because as you're probably aware, the commercial fitness industry has been decimated by COVID. And so us giving solutions to our customers through these technologies has been a really big, big win for us. That's the, the long story in the short format right there. That's pretty good. I like that a lot. Long story, short format. Let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Cameron Chinati. She is the Director of Education and Stages Cloud Technologies for Stages Indoor Cycling. And clearly, you just explained the cloud technologies. So the thing that brought me to Stages right now in this particular time, besides the fact that everybody is doing virtual training, and that is an event that you're going to do, and it's called Sparks. And one of the reasons I am so interested is your charity, World Bicycle Relief. And people know that pretty much every year I have Leah on the show to talk about WBR, and I've been a big supporter of the work that they're doing. They've made so many bikes for people out of the country who need them for such important reasons, not just going to a spin class, which is a good thing too, but you know, people who need them to actually make their lives better. So tell us about the Sparks event. Oh my goodness. And yes, you're, you're so right. Like let's, let's just call it what it is. Like when we manufacture bikes, like this is for first world things always. So it's seeing what world bicycle relief is doing is it's so exciting because we all believe in the benefit of bikes. I mean, it's something we're all really passionate about. But when you talk about bikes to, to truly have an improved life and um, transportation, healthcare, medical, water, you name it, like we all just got so excited when we started diving in. So going backwards, so Spark is an event that we started marinating on, um, I don't know, probably back in March, really, because we had just pulled off a, a fundraiser that we'd done through Global Giving, um, and it was just part of the Coronavirus Relief Fund. And really what we had done there was take a bunch of our different master educators. So these are, these are people that work for us taking our education platform, teaching other instructors about how power works and how to train with power and how to be a better instructor. So those individuals that we have seated all throughout the world, we thought, let's do a cool ride where they all come together, they all teach a class, and we do this cool 12-hour event where we raise money. And we did that with basically like two weeks notice and using a, a different platform other than our own just because of how fast we pulled it all together. And after that was said and done, we said, you know what, if we did this with a little more organization, a little more time, using our own technologies, um, using it as part of a product launch for stages, we could do some really cool things. So that's when we started investigating who we would want to be a long-term partner with us. As, as we started digging and, and looking uh, who was out there, who we already worked with in the past, we stumbled upon World Bicycle Relief and 
the more we read about the story and the more we started looking into it, the more excited we got, particularly when we found out, oh, they manufacture the Buffalo bike at Giant. Well, we manufacture all of our bikes at Giant too. Like they're, they're manufactured on the same line. So um, the, the story just kept getting more entwined and it seemed more and more meant to be. So that part was just so exciting for us. And, and we hope to transfer some of that excitement onto our participants and the folks that are gonna come do this event with us. But effectively Spark is um, the whole month of October people have the opportunity to take classes through our, our app. And we're taking classes not only from our own education team, but from customers of ours. And this is ranging in modality. So yes, there's plenty of cycling, but there is also plenty of yoga and stretching and strength workouts, body weight strength, equipment-based strength, really just trying to give people a great variety of things that they can do from their home for the month of October, and also show people what's what's out there. And particularly for our commercial customers, as I kind of alluded to earlier, they've got this pain point of not being able to have those 55 person classes anymore due to social distancing. So how do we get creative and, and help them extend that into their the homes of, of people that are already members of theirs? So this app lets us us do that and not just you know an instructor on a screen teaching class, but also if you do have um, a bike with a power meter on it, you can pair that to the phone and also be riding with power data while you're riding in class and following along with the plan that's showing at the bottom of the screen. Really, we said, let's do this event. Let's showcase our new technology to our friends and our customers, but then let's do this with a really good cause in mind. So um, effectively, you register for the event and we take the, the majority of the proceeds are going to World Bicycle Release, and we really just have some minor operator, operational costs that come off the top, but then the rest goes to WBR, and we're really excited to just see how far we can take this. Tell my listeners a little more about what the platform might look like. So you mentioned yoga. Of course, all my listeners know I'm a yoga teacher too. So if they were to sign up or sign on to do that, are they taking a, a Zoom class? Is that what you're doing? Great question. So, and I'm, you know, happy you mentioned Zoom because there's a lot of us as teachers that have been forced to teach on Zoom or, you know, name your platform, Skype or whatever it is. And we had been toying with this technology for, for quite a while, but COVID really fast-tracked it for us the need to improve that experience. Audio quality had to be better, video latency, you know, that that's a big problem when you're teaching on those platforms, which are meant for, you know, business conferencing needs, not necessarily for someone to teach class where timing and, and musicality were important. So this the the application that we do this with is called Stages Studio Now. And this app in effect lets our customers push their content down to their membership base. And so we are using it and kind of being our own customer. So we, for the Spark event, basically on the hour, every hour, 24 hours a day, we have new classes that are showing up that people can sign into. And these, like I said, they, they kind of range. So it, it could be whatever you wanted, but effectively you sign up for, for Spark, you register, and then as we get closer to October 1st, we'll send you some unique credentials so that you can get into the app. 
And then when we go live, you'll see the entire schedule for that month and be able to decide, oh, yes, I, I do want to do this yoga class at 11 o'clock on Monday. And then Tuesday at three o'clock, I'm going to do cycling with Cameron or, or whomever. You will get access to, to everything that we have for, for that month, which I think is really fun. It's going to give people a lot of flexibility. And, and because our customer base is global, um, we're going to have people taking classes in Australia and New Zealand while we're all asleep. And, and then while they're asleep, we're going to be doing our thing here stateside. So, yeah, so when you register, um, you basically are, are giving us your information. Um, there are different ways that you can register, meaning you could decide, you know what, I want to pay the $25 registration fee. That's great. Um, knowing that $12.50 of that will go to WBR. Um, or you could decide, you know what, I want to sponsor a Buffalo bike and I want to actually pay for, for somebody out there to have their own bike for transportation. And that $147 is, is going to go to WBR. So I guess one of the most important things is to tell people once again, the duration of the spark event. And I imagine some of this might linger after the event, if it, if it works out really well and we are going to stay locked down for a while um, and, and yes. where they go to actually register. Good, good question. So yes, the registration deadline is the 25th of this month. So um, not very far from now. So we, we're encouraging everybody to, to sign up as soon as possible and ensure that you get an event, not to mention um, we still have some donation levels available for people to get like a free pair of Shimano shoes. They're new indoor cycling shoes. They're fabulous. So if you go to stagesindoorcycling.com forward slash spark, you will find the registration page and lots of explanation there kind of telling you what to expect, what's coming up. And you'll also be getting um, continuous email communication from us telling you what's coming because when the event opens, when we give you directions for how to get into the app, um, you'll, as mentioned, kind of have your unique way of accessing materials. To your point about extending it beyond um, October, really, we see most people probably joining up with one of our customers. Uh. I'll throw out some examples here, like Kristen Armstrong, um, who maybe you all have talked about at some point on your podcast, but Kristen, um, you know, world-class cyclist, also runs a cycling studio in, in Boise, Idaho, um, Pivot. And so someone like Kristen who has a cycling studio, also, um, you know, one of the most accomplished cyclists in the world, has her own training programs that she pushes out to her members. Well, someone in, you know, that, that isn't in Boise, Idaho, maybe somebody that's in the UK says, you know what, I know Kristen Armstrong. I totally want to take classes with her. So being able to access Kristen's classes um, through the app is something that's possible for, for our customers. So there's going to be a lot of ways in which people can continue to stay connected and take content, maybe even more specific to their needs and their likes and their interests. Maybe cycling's not your, your bag and you just want to take yoga from the best yoga instructors in the world. Well, you can do that through the app as well. The platform looks so interesting. I mean, I've been using Zoom since April and it works pretty well. You know, I have a big television now in my studio instead of people. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. You know, no people, just me and my <laughs> no, TV. Right? But I can see enormous limitations that maybe, you know, there would be some new technology coming out for people like me as opposed to using a meeting 
technology. And looking at the site, and of course, I'm while you're chatting with me, I'm playing with your site. Uh, it's very, very interesting, and it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I did see somebody sitting on a pretty deck in the in the position of uh, getting ready to sit in yoga. So. I am assuming that yep. that's what I saw. Well, this is just awesome. And so registration starts or ends on September 25th. So you are registering people now. Yes, it is live. It is open. We've got people that are registering, um, you know, in support of WBR. They're registering because they're interested in the technology or they're registering just because they're like, oh, I get workouts every hour um, for 30 days for $25. Sign me up. Right. So, yes, there's. Something there for everybody. We've been talking with Cameron Chinati. She is the Director of Education and Stages Cloud Technologies for Stages Indoor Cycling. Such an interesting program. It's one of the most interesting among the many I've talked with uh, over the summer. Thanks so much for talking with me. Good luck with it. And we will post everything on our site. Thanks, Diane. It was a pleasure. You take care. Cameron Chinati is the Director of Education and Stages Cloud Technologies for Stages Indoor Cycling. If you're interested in learning more about the Spark events, log on to stagescycling.com forward slash spark. There you can see the different levels of participation, you can register, and find out how Stages is supporting World Bicycle Relief. So we're going to take another short break, and when we return, We'll talk with Ray George from OhioGravelGrinders.com. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. WJCU University Heights, from the campus of John Carroll University. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. While so many things seem out of reach right now, the stunning content of Ohio Gravel Grinders' website might just inspire you to find an adventure you can still experience this season. Ray George took his love for gravel riding and turned it into this expansive site for you to explore and enjoy. Hi, Ray. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week. Thank you for having me on the show. I, I listen, and I am in awe of many of the people who you've interviewed over the years and tickled pink to be, be talking about our group today. Well, it's going to be pretty cool that you get to be on the show twice. <laughs> I like that, but you're like me, you have lots of things to do. And by the way, this is not your full-time job, but what is Ohio gravel grinders? And I am remiss. I should have talked to you about this before, but I'm talking to you about it now. Ohio gravel grinders is a website. It's a group of people. And it's a Facebook group for people who enjoy riding gravel roads in Ohio. And then we've added and beyond because some of the routes we have are outside of Ohio. There's a lot of gravel across the country. The website has a lot of components to it. You know, at first I thought it was just doing gravel grinder events. And then I'm like, no, it's got this map. Oh, and it's got this and it's got that. And it's got all this stuff. So how are you defining gravel riding in terms of Ohio Gravel Grinders, the website? Most gravel routes that we have are not exclusively going to be gravel. There's going to be pavement segments that connect you. When a route actually is less than around 25 to 30% of gravel, we call it a dirty road ride. 
to some routes that it might be 90 plus percent of gravel and that gravel can be anything from you know pressed down to almost like a paved road to sometimes you ride on double track i know that we get some complaints about that but we do try to be upfront about what the conditions are going to be so it's a wide range of road conditions and so the website as you mentioned has a variety of components we try to be all gravel for all of ohio recently when you saw events on on the website we had added through a connection through Jay Clips and Matt Simpson, who run uh, the Blackboard Gravel Grinder, we had agreed to move the Ohio Gravel Race series over to our website and host it uh, to give it better exposure. And so those events popped up on the front page. Um, we were doing a lot of weekly events prior to COVID. There are still some events that are taking place towards the end of the year uh, that cyclists can take advantage of. The uh, Magnolia Gravel Grinder is coming up, and the Roger event, uh, it's R-O-J-R event is coming up. And those are the last two of the, 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 that were originally scheduled, and they were kind of pushed around and, and, on time. So the, the website has those on the front page. Let me take a moment to remind listeners I'm speaking with Ray George. He is the founder of Ohio Gravel Grinders, and it is a website for the people who like to grind gravel. So is there a difference between gravel riding and gravel grinding? Define gravel grinding. Is It, it seems to me it, it might have a different context. You know, gravel grinding is, it's not a great term, but <laughs> I think it's really, you know, you're grinding down gravel as you're riding. Ah. We, we took the, the grinder name and went with it, but I don't really think there's much difference in gravel riding and gravel grinding. So it's really a, it's really a marketing term. And I know that, you know, there's a lot of companies embracing gravel riding or gravel grinding. I've seen gravel specific, which I think is funny. Uh, you know, <laughs> gravel gravel has been around for a long time. It, I'm pretty sure it predates the cycle of the bicycle. I rode gravel when, when I was a kid. There was stuff right out, you know, out, out off of our neighborhood. We rode gravel when we would ride around as kids um, in Ohio County over near Wheeling. I started what would be gravel grinding, what would be the definition for today in mid 2000s, but we did it at night. And so we bought lights and we went out and rode at you know, eight or nine o'clock at night and scared motorists uh, out in the countryside. Well, how kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were aware of us and that's what we always wanted to be seen. And then I moved to Columbus and I kind of fell into doing road riding and met a lot of people cycling. Cycling is one of the best networking tools that people can do, I think. And over the years, some of my friends, uh, in particular Tim Christie, had developed a route in, in the Conkles Hollow area, southeast of Columbus, and said, we're going to go try this. And by the way, there's some gravel on it. And so we went and rode that. It was in 2011. And January of 2012, we rode another ride would probably be our considered our first organized gravel grinder in the Mohican area to the northeast of Columbus. And it was cold, it was wet, and we had whiskey. And we rode around and had a blast. And we kind of slowly started documenting those rides, which if you look at the website, the journal is tracking 
many, if not all of the rides that we've done over the years back beyond 2011. And so uh, I'm a huge fan, some in marketing, of taking pictures. I can see that. Yeah, so there's a lot of pictures, and I like to take pictures of other people. I think people would like to see themselves in pictures when they're riding bikes. I get the pictures, and so we put together little uh, recaps over the years. And uh, when the site kind of launched in late 2018, we had a lot of content. The website grew out of a Facebook group. In 2012 and 13, as we were doing more and more rides, we joked about expanding this riding, you know, the gravel riding. We were on a ride, that, another Tim Christie route. It was the Wildcat Hollow route out of Crooksville. We were riding back, and I said, you know, Facebook is out there. We should, have, we should do a Facebook group, and we could expand this gravel to a wider uh, range of people. And so in January 2013, Ohio Gravel Grinders Facebook group got launched. And we're, we're over 3,300 members now. Wow. That's impressive. Let me remind our listeners once again, we're speaking with Ray George. He is the founder of Ohio Gravel Grinders, and it's .com. So it's all one word, Ohio Gravel Grinders. Um, you know, when I think back to my first few years in the bicycle business, where the average bike tire was a 27 by one and a quarter, which today would be 700 by 32. I look at today's bikes and go, well, you know, gravel, touring, bike packing, bike touring. I'm not sure it's really that different. Did you think this whole idea of a gravel specific bike uh, has anything, if not everything, to do with marketing? I think to some extent, I think technology, though, has caught up and is maybe offering a wider range of bicycle that can maybe be more comfortable for people to get out and ride gravel. I I started riding gravel on 700 by, I think, 35s and maybe okay. 40. Yeah. When you're when you're bombing down a hill and gravel and you have that float where you're sliding all over the place, I feel more comfortable in a 2.2 inch tire. Sure. Some of it could be marketing, but I think that technology and the advancement of that, better drive lines, the one by drivetrain, that's what I run on mine now. I've blown up so many derailers running a two by that I went to a one by and I haven't had any issues since, but to each his own. That is true. I do see you have one other thing I want to talk about, and that's the Ride with GPS Club account. What is Ride with GPS and how is it related to Ohio Gravel Grinders? When this group started, it was a Facebook group and we organized events and the Facebook group has limitations. And so the website was launched and I want to thank, you know, a friend of mine, Dave Binkley, who said, you know what, I want to, I want to actually pay for the first year of hosting, which was great. And he kind of launched us and Kenda has actually been a big supporter. They're on the South side of town. And so they, they, they actually underwrite the, the hosting for the website. And I've been a, a user of Ride with GPS, which is a platform. They have a website and they have, a, they have apps available for iPhone and Android. We looked at how can we best organize those routes to get those routes from the website onto a GPS or onto your phone or the app. You know, you really need that intermediary and Ride with GPS is that platform we're using. And this year I approached Paradise Garage. They're a bicycle shop here in Columbus and they agreed to underwrite the first year of the club account. It's free to the end user. 
They can download the app to Android phones or iPhone, and it allows the user to get benefits that would normally be paid. So they get uh, mobile features that would normally have an access to. They get turn-by-turn -turn navigation on a route that's within our club account. They get offline maps, which they normally would not be able to get access to unless they paid. Uh, they get advanced turn notifications. They can print PDF maps in the queue sheets, which you'd have to pay to get access to. So the underwriting by Paradise Garage actually gives anybody who's joined our club, which is, you can go to the website, join on the front page, join the club. It's free. They can then download those routes and use it on a GPS or a Wahoo or put it on to download it into the app and have that navigation feature. So also we've expanded those routes to bikepacking. We've been doing bikepacking trips, trying to do one a year. We didn't really do much this year, but there's some examples of some bikepacking trips we've done in West Virginia and in Vermont. We went to Vermont last year and those routes are on that and they're in the Ride with GPS account. So you could download them and use them. The website really was our ability to control the message, how the routes were packaged, and then Ride with GPS allows people to get those routes onto uh, a GPS or the their navigation app. Well, the website is very thorough and very easy to navigate. So once again, we've been speaking with Ray George. He is the founder of Ohio Gravel Grinders. It's a very comprehensive website that allows you to do a lot of things. And joining the club gives you access to this ride with GPS. Well, Ray, thank you for talking with me. We will post Ohio Gravel Grinders on our social media. And I hope we get back to a normal life soon. I hope so too. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. Ray George is the founder of OhioGravelGrinders.com. If you're interested, log on, and you might want to grab a beverage and a snack. It'll take a while to explore. So that's our show for this week. My thanks to Jacques Boyer, Cameron Chinati, and Ray George for joining me. Please remember to rate our show on your favorite podcast app and write a review if you are so inclined. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode of The Outspoken Cyclist, and in the meantime, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Stay safe, stay well, and remember, if you have a chance, go for a ride. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We hope you enjoyed this week's show and welcome your comments and thoughts on Twitter and Facebook. Visit OutspokenCyclist.com to hear this and all past shows. We'll be back next week with more great conversation and news from the world of cycling. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.